0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Leviticus, and we're turning this evening to Leviticus chapter 3, and in the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 82. Leviticus chapter 3 and beginning our reading at verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys." Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice uh, of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver, that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and lay his hand on its head, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, Then he shall offer uh, from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. In all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. (laughs) Asking uh, the right question uh, can uh, put one on the right path. Uh, When we're able to uh, ask the right question, it can set us uh, in the right direction. And the book of Leviticus is wanting to help us to ask the right question. When we think about God, when we think about faith, uh, there can be many questions that we might think of ourselves. But the book of Leviticus says the most pressing question that we should be asking is, is how can sinners have access before a holy and a just God? How is it that I can come before God and be accepted? And the book of Leviticus is set out to answer that question. Uh, It is written in such a way as to help us understand how creatures can come before God and be accepted in his sight. The the Bible tells us that God desires to have fellowship with his creatures. God promised his people that he would dwell with them uh, just as they had done uh, at the beginning. You remember that in the beginning, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and that Adam and Eve were in what was called paradise. But it was called paradise because it was there that they were able to walk with God. It was there that they had fellowship with God and they enjoyed the peace and blessing that came with God. But after sin came, it, it caused them to be removed from the garden. Uh, it caused a separation between them and their God. But God still desires to dwell with his people. And that promise that God gave was further developed in history when God commanded a tabernacle to be built. That tabernacle was a movable or a portable tent. uh, Something that could be constructed and God would make his presence known there in a special way. And so Leviticus is teaching us not only that God purposes to dwell with his people, but how God draws near, how it is that God can meet with his people and they can find acceptance in his sight. And so Leviticus is answering or giving us the right questions. How can we come before this God? How can we stand in his presence and be uh, accepted? But the book of Leviticus is also teaching us many things along the way, and we're only at the beginning here as we look at these offerings. But it's teaching us about worship. Uh, It has many things to teach us about how it is that we are to come before this God. And we could already highlight a couple of principles that are to shape the way that we think about ascribing worth to God. One of those is the principle of what is called regulated worship. That our worship of God is not something that we devise of our own making. It's not something that is left to our own intentions or to our own imaginations. But rather, as we read through these chapters, you notice that in very precise detail, God is teaching the people how to come before him. If they are to come before him, then it is on God's terms. If they are to be approved in his sight, it is by following his word. And so this has been known as regulated worship or a regulative principle uh, about worship. The way that we come before God is how God commands. And so the people were being taught to ask the question, what has God said about how we worship? That is to be the driving question when we think about giving honor to the God of the universe. How should we go about giving tribute? How is it that we should go about honoring God's name? Has God said anything about this? And we are to live in response to that. And that's not something that is reserved just for the old covenant or the Old Testament. That's that's a biblical principle. Uh, The writer of Hebrews tells us that we are to, uh, he says, let us offer unto God acceptable worship. To offer unto God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then he explains, for our God is a consuming fire. The writer of Hebrews was arguing that the God who revealed himself to Moses in the old covenant is the same God that we are worshiping in the new covenant. That just as he revealed himself as being holy, a consuming fire to Moses. It is that same God that we approach. That as Moses was taught to take off the sandals from his feet for the place in which he stands is holy ground. That as we come before God we are to recognize that he is worthy of all praise and honor. And so if we approach him we are to approach him in response to his word. The second principle that we learn about worship is not only that it is something that is regulated by God, but it is something that arises out of the heart. It is something that is offered up voluntarily by the worshiper. That worship is not like paying your taxes. Uh, We may do our taxes and we go through the process and then when we're done we say, I did it, Uh, it's over. Now I can carry on with my my life, my schedule, my rhythm. Worship isn't just something that we go through the motions of doing, but worship is something that is to be offered up voluntarily to God. One thing that we have been accenting in these opening chapters is, is that these offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, they were at times mandatory. But they were also at times voluntary. That in the Old Covenant, even as we're reading these opening chapters, it says when you offer this. It's not so much stressing the requirement to do it as much as the expectation that the worshiper will want to do these things. That there will be times when the people of God desire to express praise to God. And so they will want to willingly uh, offer up sacrifice. Uh, there are times uh, then when uh, they would offer up uh, these sacrifices voluntarily, such as when they offered up a fulfillment of their vow. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 66. <coughs> The psalmist says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips have uttered and my lips, my mouth has promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. The psalmist there is not mechanical. The psalmist is not just saying, I did it. The psalmist is saying, I want to express the greatness of God. I want to tell what he has done. And so these offerings are an expression of their heart's desire to ascribe worth and delight in the living God. And so as we think about worship, the book of Leviticus is teaching us that it is something that is directed by God's revelation and something that is matched by the work of the Spirit as the the desire of the believer. I want to magnify God as God wants to be magnified. And that is uh, biblical worship. But this evening, we want to turn to a third offering. Uh, We want to look at what is called the peace offering and sometimes it is referred to as a fellowship offering. Um, One of the tricky things about looking at all these offerings is that they're described with different uh, titles, Uh, but those different descriptions are simply trying to capture something about the offering in a summary way. So uh, we may call it a peace offering or we may call it a fellowship offering uh, uh, this evening but we wanna look at this offering to see how it informs the way that we come before this living God. And we want ultimately to see that because Christ accomplishes peace with God, we can have fellowship with the living God. We wanna think about the basis of this fellowship. And then secondly, we wanna think about the expression of that fellowship. First, we wanna think about the basis of fellowship. We have been looking at each of these uh, offerings independently of one another. Uh, We've been following the chapter divisions. Uh, They are distinct offerings. But in practice, if we were living in the old covenant period, these first three offerings would have been really joined together. Uh, that they were used in sequence and uh, that they were thought of as belonging with one another. Uh, You notice that even as we turn to chapter three there uh, in verse five, because it says, then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering. So the burnt offering is offered or that ascension offering where the entire animal is consecrated unto the Lord. The entire animal is transformed into smoke. And it ascends into heaven. And then along with that, there would be the grain offering. And there would be uh, the peace offering as well. Uh, These are added on top of one another. Which is teaching us about how we think about them. Not only do they follow logically, but they follow in sequence as well. But I've mentioned that this is sometimes called a peace offering. And sometimes it's called a fellowship offering. It is called a peace offering because, as you notice there in the opening verse, there is the word peace or a word that's related to the word peace. And what it's accenting is, is that the outcome of what this sacrifice is celebrating is peace with God. This offering is a celebration that the burnt offering has made atonement for sin and that there is this celebration that the outcome of that is peace with God but we can also describe this not just simply as a peace offering but what that peace entails which is moving beyond simply the cessation of alienation to now enjoying God in fellowship as well sin causes separation Uh, sin causes alienation uh, a separation between God and his people That sin is a barrier uh, that is overcome only by sacrifice. If you lived, if you lived a few millennia ago, if you lived back in this time in Leviticus, and you saw Moses, and you saw Miriam, and you saw Joshua, and you're walking around, you would be confronted with the problem of your sin. Because when you see the tabernacle, as you come with your offering, as you bring your animal to the the tabernacle, as you lean on that uh, animal, you lay your hands and you depend on that animal, identifying with the problem of sin, you would then come to the altar, the bronze altar, out in the courtyard, that you see that right there before Uh, uh, the holy place, you you can't go any further. The access before God is actually physically interrupted by that altar. That there must be sacrifice for sin. That sin has made a sacrifice or has made a barrier. And so here the whole idea of fellowship is, is on the basis that a sacrifice has happened that the blood of the sacrifice has uh, been shed. And as a result now, they can enjoy fellowship with God. One of the principles in Leviticus is is that atonement is made on the basis of blood, a blood sacrifice because blood represents life. The sacrifice of blood is the means by which sin is uh, satisfied or that atonement is made. And so we can only come into the presence of God when we have uh, come through the death of an atoning sacrifice. This This is really a very graphic picture of the gospel, that we can only come into God's presence. We can only come before God and be accepted. We can only draw near to the throne of grace through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That on the basis of how we approach God, it is on the basis of an atonement that has happened. But the result of that is as now I can have peace and fellowship with the living God. That's what the Israelites were celebrating in the old covenant. And that's how we are to draw near to God in the new covenant. On the basis of what Jesus has done to cover sins, I can have peace with God and enjoy him Uh, as my God and have favor with him. And so there is no way of coming before God except through uh, the sacrifice, ultimately, of Christ. To think that we can come into God's presence apart from the blood sacrifice would be a denial of the problem of sin. But it would also be uh, a denial of God's provision of grace. And so, again, we're seeing something about what true worship looks like. It is operating under the understanding That to be accepted before God, uh, there must be uh, sacrifice. But the outcome is to be having peace and communion with God. So this, this offering is linked with the previous offerings. It's linked with the idea that atonement has been made. It is linked with the idea that sin, the blood of sacrifice, has occurred. And now this peace offering goes on top. Of that burnt offering. But it is a celebration of peace or a celebration of fellowship with the living God. We want to think about this fellowship though in two ways. We want to think about it as fellowship with God, and then secondly, a fellowship with one another. The peace offering or the fellowship offering, as it is sometimes called, has many similarities with uh, the burnt offering. Uh, in both of them, they brought an animal uh, to the altar. In both of them, they lay their hand on the uh, on the animal. In both of them, the animal is sacrificed, and the blood is poured out around the altar. But there's also noticeable differences. In the burnt offering, it was uh, only a male, uh, a male animal, whereas in this offering, it can be a male or a female. So there's greater adaptability. Uh, it's less rigid about what is offered in that sense. It's also more relaxed in the sense that with the burnt offering, uh, sorry, in the burnt offering, it had to be from the herd, the flock, or birds. Whereas in the, uh, uh, this offering, it could only be from the flock or from the herd, uh, not from the birds. But it's the third distinctive that really makes this offering different than the others. This is the only offering where a portion is dedicated to God to the priests, and to the offerer, We said the whole burnt offering is entirely consecrated to God. It is a supreme sacrifice saying God is most worthy of all, a complete expression of devotion to God. There are other sacrifices. We looked at the grain sacrifice, where a provision is given to the priests. But this is the only one where God receives a portion where the priests receive a portion and their families, and the offerer and his family receive a portion, which is highlighting something. It's highlighting that what is happening here is a meal. This is a meal that is bringing together God and his people, and it is meant to be something uh, that they celebrate together. Uh, And you notice that what is stressed in this chapter Uh, is not only the different kinds of peace offerings, but the fat. All of that description about uh, what constitutes the fat around the inward parts, the the kidneys, the livers, uh, all of this is to be consecrated to the Lord. Because it is to be uh, burned uh, to the Lord, uh, there is great detail given to it. But maybe you young people have been sitting around table at some point and you look at the meat and you look at a portion of the meat and you think to yourself, what is that? And you might even ask, what is this part? And someone tells you, oh, that's the fat. And maybe you've even done the thing where you scrunch your face and you say, do I have to eat that, pa- that part? Uh, the fat may not sa- sound or seem very attractive. But it's important that as we read this portion to realize The opposite would have been true in ancient Israel. The fat was considered the best portion, uh, the best of the best. And you can see that in many passages in the Bible uh, because it actually uses the language of fat to refer to the best. Uh, For instance, uh, we can turn to Psalm 147. It says that he fills you with the finest of the wheat. If we translate that literally It says he fills you with the fattest of the wheat. Or you turn to Numbers chapter 18 and it speaks of all the best of the oil and all the best of the wine. Literally, that is all the fat of the oil and all the fat of the wine. The fat represents the best portion. And so in this meal, what is being communicated is is that God is most deserving of greatest honor. And so the best portion is to be commemorated uh, to the Lord. All the fat is the Lord's, as it says at the end of the chapter. But this is a meal in which all are to partake and all are to benefit. In ancient Israel, a meal could serve as a confirmation of having entered into a covenant relationship. It meant a pledge of loyalty uh, to one another. After the Israelites entered into covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai, it tells us that Moses and the leaders went up on the mountain and ate a meal before the Lord as a way of confirming and celebrating that relationship. They were were committed to one another. They were at peace with one another. And now they enjoy a meal together as friends. That, That alters the way that we think about worship. Because worship is not just how do I get rid of my sin or how do I get rid of my, my guilt. But ultimately it, trans, it goes beyond that because it is about knowing and enjoying God. And God's purpose is ultimately to allow us to enjoy his benefits. That he might have us around a table and he might bless us with his goodness. So it is here uh, with the peace offering. It is a meal that is being enjoyed on the basis of a covenant established through the atoning sacrifice for sin. The peace offering goes on top of the burnt offering. Peace comes as a result of the sacrifice for sin. There has been a covering of sins and now they can enjoy peace with God. The peace offering shows the Lord's desire to have fellowship with sinners. It shows that the goal of God's atoning sacrifice is is that we could enjoy God and have communion with him. We read there from Romans chapter 5, and Paul says God's love is shown to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now shall we be reconciled uh, and saved by his life. What is Paul celebrating there? There's no longer any condemnation. But how did he begin that chapter? Since, therefore, there is no condemnation, we have peace. We have peace with God. We can enjoy the benefits of being together at His table, of enjoying His favor, and of knowing of His committed promise to bless. This is the movement of Leviticus. Not to stay at odds in trepidation and fear, but to know that God is purposing to draw near and has made a way. And that through that sacrifice, God draws near ultimately to bless. That they could have peace and fellowship with the living God. We oftentimes use the language of communion uh, to refer to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a meal and intentionally so. Because again, it is communicating peace with God, but also fellowship with God. We are enjoying the benefits of Christ's redemption. We are knowing the favor of God through Christ, and we can enjoy security and blessing in God's favor when we have known our sins are covered. So Jesus teaches us to celebrate this meal in order to reaffirm our covenant commitments to God and to express our delight that Jesus is Lord. So when we think about communion, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, the question that we are to ask is not, are you worthy? The question that we are to ask ourselves is, do we have peace with God? Have we looked to the atoning sacrifice in Jesus to know that our sins are covered? And if we have, then we are invited to celebrate that peace. We are invited now to partake uh, by faith of God's grace and blessing. Are we trusting in Jesus for salvation? If so, then we can celebrate that communion. But communion is not simply something that happens with the bread and the wine. Communion now shapes the way the Christian lives their life. These believers would come and they would offer up uh, their offerings again and again. But the Christian lives now delighting in the peace that they have with God. Day by day. Andrew Bonar, uh, a free churchman of the past, says this, Our daily acts of communion with God, our daily praise, our daily thanksgiving, must be founded afresh on the work of Jesus. On top of the sacrifice of Christ on top of the one that has covered our sin. Let us offer up to God our sacrifices of praise. So this, this offering is a celebration of the outcome of atonement. We have peace with God through Christ if we are trusting in him by faith. We, the, the barrier of sin has been overcome and we have been reconciled through his sacrifice. But there's also this fellowship, not only with God, but fellowship with one another. As mentioned, what is unique about this offering is is that all partake. Not just God, not just the priest, but the offerer and his family as well. Meat in the ancient world was a rare thing, and so to eat meat uh, was a big deal. But here, not only do the priests enjoy, but so does the offerer and his family. They are able to to enjoy the benefits of uh, this sacrifice, uh, testifying to God's grace. And here we see one of the blessings of the community of saints. That when the people of God extol the glories of God, when believers worship God, celebrating (coughs) fellowship in Christ, it doesn't just benefit them it benefits all those around them. When Christians gather together and celebrate the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it is like sharing a meal, and that all who partake also are uplifted and nourished by it. We were singing there in Psalm 34, come taste and see that the Lord is good, who trusts in him is blessed. When Christians come together and celebrate that there is peace with God in Christ Jesus, we're not just declaring something for ourselves to hear, but we are testifying and c- testifying to one another of where to look for our hope. And when we trust in Jesus, it builds up the whole community. It benefits all people. That's one of the reasons why Christians don't live isolated. Because we are meant to build up the saints. We are meant to bless one another. And that's what's happening here, even with the peace offering. The priests are benefited. But so is the offerer and his family. So as we think about this peace offering, we're asking ourselves, how does one have peace with God? Israelite, as they walked through this drama, They're bringing their animal to the altar. They see there is a separation. It's only on the basis of a sacrifice for sin. It's a blood sacrifice in their place. But when that sacrifice that God has commanded has been offered up, they can enjoy the peace that comes as a result to know the favor of God. But in the fullness of time, that sacrifice is Jesus. He gave his life as an atoning as a covering for our sins so that we can have peace with god have you come to know the peace of god in christ when we do we will celebrate like the old covenant believer testifying to it and delighting in god's praise to those around us let's pray Heavenly Father, we do pray as we think about these offerings uh, that we would see them uh, ultimately pointing us to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. We pray that we would treasure him and what he has accomplished once for all at the end of the ages. By the sacrifice of himself, he put away sin. And we pray, Lord, that we would be able to understand